Well, today we're launching a brand new series called Baggage. And the reality is, whether you believe it or not, you, every single person who walked through the doors uh, today is bringing some baggage. Now, some of you would probably say, nope, I don't have any baggage, and you're just fooling yourself. Because regardless of who you are, there's something that you have been carrying. Now, often it comes from our family systems, or it might come from our own DNA, or it may be from a relationship that uh, happened in the past in uh, which we were hurt. But our baggage, if we allow it to stay with us, will affect ourselves, and it will affect the people around us. I know in my own family system, I kind of looked at a family tree uh, this week on my mom's side and my dad's side. And uh, what I found was there are some messed up people on both sides of those, and that's why I'm kind of messed up. And uh, when I looked through the generations, I found that there were things like codependency and alcoholism and low self-esteem and issues with anger. Because even though you might be a Christian, the reality is we still carry baggage. We still hurt each other. Now, my immediate family, my dad uh, is a pastor, and uh, our family, we're Christian. But the thing is, we still know how to hurt each other. We know how to have unhealthy relationships. And there is baggage that has been in our family in which we've hid things from everyone else, including ourselves sometimes. And it's only when we chose to confront it, when we dared to confront it, that we actually got healthy, even though it took some pain and some hurt. So for the next five weeks, what we want to do is we want to look at five dysfunctions of families and to try to become healthier families at uh, the end of this time than we are today and to provide you with some tools that you can use to get rid of your baggage and to create a healthier family. So are you guys ready? Oh, my. I know it's Labor Day weekend, but come on. Are you ready? Okay. Now we're going to look at five dysfunctions of families throughout this series. And it really doesn't matter whether you're married or you're single. All of us are connected to some family. We may not like the family. We may love the family. But whoever it is, we're connected to them. And uh, we have a family that has some dysfunction in it. Now today, we're going to talk about the controlling family. So how many of you think that you either came from a family where there was a controlling member in that family, or currently you are in a family situation in which there is a controller that's in your family? Just raise your hand. Okay. All right. Now, uh, that means you guys can relate. You came on the right Sunday. I mean, like, people are out on boats right now, but they're not going to get healthy, you know? Like, you chose to be here today. Now, how many of you needed someone beside you to kind of lift your hand up to remind you that you're the controller, okay? Yeah, that happens too. we got some work to do, folks. Um, so, controlling families, that's all we want to talk about. And what happens in controlling families, they function out of guilt and shame and passive aggressiveness and criticism toward one another. 
But typically, there are kind of two different issues in a controlling family. The first one deals with helping the controller. You help the control freak in your family to see that they have other family members, why they need to have other family members see things their way. Okay? So it's helping the controller in the family to see why they need to have other family members see things their way. Okay? Does that make sense? You don't have to name who that person is right now. But uh, that controller, they only see things one way, and so you've got to kind of help them through that. Now here's the second issue that happens in controlling families. If there is a controller, or more than one controller, there is also controllees, people who choose to be controlled. And so when that happens, you have to help the controllee to set healthy boundaries. You have to help whoever in the family it is, the controlee, to set healthy boundaries. Make sense so far? Okay. Now the key to overcoming a controlling family is for the family to submit to God and to surrender to one another. Now you would say, oh, that sounds easy. But the reality is that's the most difficult things that happens in families. Because not everyone's submitting to God and they're not surrendering to one another. You have to surrender to the Holy Spirit, to a power that's greater than yourself. Kind of like the song that we sang today when it talked about surrender. I surrender. You know, I'm giving you my hopes. I'm giving you my dreams. I'm giving everything to you right now, God. I'm surrendering to you because I want a healthy family. Now, that means that you're going to have to surrender the good, the bad, and the ugly that's kind of going on in your life and in the life of your family. And we give it together as a family. And when we surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit, He produces fruit in us that gets rid of our baggage and helps us to be filled with the fruits of the Spirit. The Bible says this in Galatians 5. When what? The Holy Spirit controls your life. Not you, but when the Holy Spirit controls your life, He will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I find it kind of interesting, why does Paul, the guy who wrote this, why does he put self-control as the last thing? Was it just an add-on? I think it was uh, what they call in communication the recency effect. There are two kind of effects in communication. The primacy effect and the recency effect. The primacy effect is whatever I share with you, you're going to remember the very first thing that I said. The recency effect deals with the fact that whatever I say, at the end, is what you're going to remember. And so I think what Paul wanted people to do is know both. The very first thing in that list was what? Love. The very last thing in that list is what? Self-control. Because self-control is extremely difficult to perfect, let alone just kind of do it halfway decently in a family. It's very difficult to produce that fruit in our families. That's why we have baggage. That's why we have dysfunctions. In fact, we can't do it on our own. That's why we have to allow the Holy Spirit to control our lives. Now, the family that we're going to look at 
uh, throughout these five weeks, and including today, is a family that had five dysfunctions, maybe more. But they had some real issues. And this controlling family is Jacob's family. Now, Jacob is a character in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, and he's in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis. And over half of the book deals with him and his family. So I think it's a a good picture to kind of understand a controlling family. Now, the fact is, Jacob started controlling when he came out of the womb. Let's go ahead and look at the Bible. Some of you are like, yeah, I know some people in my family like that, right? Okay. This is what the Bible says. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah. And he's 40, he gets married. 20 years, they don't have any children. For 20 years, no children at all. Then the scripture says this. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife. He's 60 now. Because she was barren, the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled with each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire to the Lord. Anyone ever had twins in here? No twins? Do you know anyone that's had twins? And they don't know? (laughs) That's what she's dealing with. She's like, why is this happening to me? I don't understand it. They're jostling in there. She may not even know she has two. They're coming out of the oven here in just a second. Well, the Lord said this to her. Two nations are in your womb, and two uh, two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now what you need to know, in this culture, in Jewish culture, the oldest son, it's a patriarchal culture, so the oldest son has the highest place in the family other than the father. And so when God says that the older one will serve the younger one, he flips the entire culture upside down. I mean, the older son gets two-thirds of the inheritance, and then everything else is shifted between all the other males. And now all of a sudden he turns it around and he says, nope, this is the way it's going to happen. So the story continues. When the time came for her, that is Rebecca, to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first one who came out was red. And his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. You know what Esau means? Hairy. I'm serious. You can look it up yourself this week. That's what it means. Hairy. So this guy is hairy coming out of the womb, okay? His name's Esau. I mean, can you imagine him going to junior high class? I mean, if you're a boy and you go into junior high class and you're the hairiest guy, it's not wise. I mean, it's really bad, you know. Luckily, I have no hair, so I just didn't have to deal with that. But uh, he's hairy, and he gets laughed at. Well, after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's hill, so his name was Jacob. You know what Jacob's name means? Hill catcher. He is the hill catcher, okay? Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. And this is just a little foreshadowing of the control issues that Jacob has in his life. Now what we learn next is is that Esau becomes a hunter, 
and he gets real close to his dad. And Jacob is a mama's boy, and he gets real close to his mom. And uh, much of the fact that he becomes a, a mama's boy is because Rebecca is a controller too. They're conniving controllers. They have that personality. The story goes on. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the country famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of the red stew. I'm famished. This is what uh, he was also called Edom. And that word means red. So that's it. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. See the manipulation? Hey, I'm not going to give you anything. Sell me something. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Anyone here in here named Jacob? Good, we can rip on him as much as we want then. Now there's two dysfunctions going on between these two boys. One is Esau. He could care less about family tradition, family honor, about bonding, about the power of the firstborn son. He could care less about that. He could, you know, he doesn't give a rip. He's all about immediate gratification. What can I get right now? He doesn't want to wait. He wants it now. The other dysfunction is Jacob. And Jacob is this conniving guy who's trying to get everything that he can out of his brother. And later on, he controls his dad to get the firstborn blessing, which is a huge thing in the Jewish culture. But instead of me telling that story, what I thought we would do today is that we'll kind of act this story out. And I've invited some people to come up, and they've, uh, they've never practiced this before. They were just asked, you know, 30 minutes ago, maybe less. And uh, so if you're one of those actors, as they come up, let's all give them a hand, okay? And it's going to be cool. Okay, you're Esau, right? Yes, sir. All right, Esau, why don't you stand behind this uh, little trunk here, okay? This is what you call a spontaneous melodrama. And what we're going to do, these people are going to act this out. And you, as the audience, you have to participate too, okay? So when I encourage you to say things, you can participate. And on Labor Day weekend, you can say, we didn't go to the lake, but we had a great time at church. And if you don't have a good time, tell them you go to a different church, okay? That's all you got to do. Now, uh, let's see. Uh, who's Rebecca? Oh, you're the only woman, so once you come over Wouldn't that be good? We have some other guys. You can see them right there, Rebecca. Doesn't Rebecca look good? Audience. There, there you go. And uh, now we need Isaac. Who's Isaac? All right, you're Isaac? Good. Isaac, why don't you stand up here? Okay. 
There you go. And uh, then Jacob. You're Jacob. Good. Jacob, why don't you kind of stand off a little bit like on the other side of that screen for a second. And uh, you're the microphone guy, right? Yeah. Good. All right. Let's, let's check it out, won't we? Yeah. All right. Let's get somebody different. Who, no, I'm joking. All right. Let's check it out. Uh, let's see if it works. Mic check. Okay, good. Look, didn't he do well? Okay. Now, uh, like I said, these guys have never rehearsed this before. They have no idea. And uh, microphone guy, you'll just kind of follow the screen. It's going to be really good. We're going to have some mood music that will come out. And by the end, some of you might be on the verge of tears. Okay, Isaac is very, very old, and he's hunched over. Okay, hunched over. And uh, we're going to do kind of a carrot top thing. If you've ever seen this guy, he has a prop box. So, uh, Isaac, if you would, just kind of hunch over. You're real old. You're decrepit. You're shaking. Okay, why don't you come over this way and um, just kind of see if you can walk a little bit. Okay, that, you don't get anything out of here, so you have to go back. Okay, so go on back. Um, but he's, he's close to death, and you're blind, Isaac, so close your eyes. There you go. Okay, and put your hands up over your eyes. That'll be the sign that he's blind, okay? And you're shaking. Come on, shake. You're old. You're close to death. And the crowd looks at him, and they feel so bad for him, so they say, ah. Okay, good, good. See, man, you guys are good. Okay, now, Rebecca, I want you to go to the chest here, and you're going to find a black scarf in there. So go ahead, get that black scarf, go back to where you were, microphone guy, follow her, and, um, and uh, what happens is that you're hiding, so why don't you just kind of hide, because you don't really like, you're apathetic, you really don't care about poor Isaac, because he's blind and he's close to death, and you're unconcerned about his impending death, and so what would you say to something like that? Nothing, because you're apathetic. That's really good. Didn't hey, give her a hand. All right. Now, I'm the director. That's why I have this board here, okay? Now, Rebecca, you're hiding. Again, just kind of stay there. Meanwhile, Esau is a beastly man. Look at this. And he's hairy. And uh, so um, go ahead, get that burlap sack in there, because you're a hairy kind of guy. Put it over your uh, head if you can. I think there's a a hole cut in it. If not, just wrap it around you. That's good. There you go. Beastly. And he wakes up each morning and he does push-ups. So why don't you get down right there, right by Derek. Yeah, that's good. And do, and do some, do some uh, uh, push-ups. And why don't you take the microphone and when he does these push-ups, he growls. Growl. Okay, good, good. Give him a hand. Good job. All right. Now, Esau, uh, you get up, you do the push-ups, and you're growling, and uh, you flex to the crowd. Go ahead, flex. Look at that. He's awesome. Very nice. Give him a hand. All right. So while Esau continues to flex, so you flex through this whole time. I want you to flex. There you go. Okay, good, good, good. Now, uh, Isaac is old, and he's close to death over there. And he realized he wants to give a blessing to Esau. So he calls out uh, to Esau. He says, Esau. Esau. Oh, you got it weaker. Esau. There you go. Good. And go ahead. Esau goes over. Go to him. This is your dad. 
and Esau runs like a wild grizzly bear. How's a grizzly bear act there? <laughs> and Esau is to him, and Esau wants uh, uh, his dad to give him the blessing, but first of all, his dad says, I want some elk. So give your best impersonation of an elk here, uh, Isaac. <laughs> Good job, good job, okay. And so he shows him what an elk is, and you come over to the basket here, Esau, and find your elk blaster, okay? Can you find your elk blaster? There you go, good, okay, just keep it right there. And he's ready to do some damage. Figure out how it works, because I don't know. Um, okay, and uh, then what happens is the controlling uh, kind of sinister Rebecca yodels for her son. So <laughs> good, she yodeled. Isn't that good? Good. And yodels. And here comes Jacob uh, to him. And Jacob comes up to his mom and to the stage. Why don't you stand right by your brother for a second? Here, uh, Esau. Jacob, why don't you stand right by him? And the crowd looks and sees that Jacob is just not as manly as Esau is. <laughs> but they realize that he's really cute. So they yell out and they say, you are so cute. Good job. All right. Good job, Jacob. All right. Now, Jacob is a mama's boy. And so he goes over to his mom and they kind of huddle up together to get this deceptive plan of uh, stealing the blessing. And they say uh, together, go pirates. Did you get it? Did you get it? I thought it would bomb. You know, they're pirates, so they're stealing the blessing. Okay. Boo! <laughs> okay, then the guys were very sneakily, they go together, uh, Rebecca and Jacob, you go to the prop box. Now, at the same time, Esau is ready to hunt him some elk. You ready to go get some elk here? Huh? And, our, uh, man, you're big. Dude, you... If I saw you like that, I would really run, I think. And he sees an elk that's in our midst. Where is the elk? Stand up, elk. Go get him. Go. Go get him. Shoot him. Shoot that elk. And everybody says, go Esau. Oh, they got him. Look at how they shot him down. All right. Again, everybody goes, go Esau. There we go. Okay. Hold on, we got to get the pages here. To... Okay, here we go. So Jacob and Rebecca, they get some meat in the uh, little thing there. There it is. There's their meat. And um, they also, uh, Jacob puts on some gloves because he's not as hairy as his brother. So they get some hairy gloves. And uh, he has to be more manly like uh, his brother Esau. But the crowd knows that they're getting ready to go steal the blessing. So the crowd boos. Everybody boo. Okay, you guys go on over to, to poor Isaac over there, okay? Now Isaac is still shaking and blind. Man, that guy's been shaking the whole time. And he doesn't believe uh, that Jacob is Esau, but Jacob puts his hands out. Uh, so put your hands out, let, touch him, and smell him. There you go. And it, finally he's like, well, maybe it is. And he believes it's him, and so he gives the blessing to Jacob. Give your best blessing. 
Okay, there you go. And the crowd shakes their head in disgust. And the two sneaky pirates kind of leave the stage. But there's Esau. And Esau is coming back with his elk. Here he comes. And he brings the elk right to his dad and puts it in front of his dad. And he cuts up the elk. (laughs) And he feeds part of the elk to his dad. But then the crowd gasps. That was really good. And the crowd yells out, You've been duped! And Esau then realizes that his blessing has been stolen. And so he falls to the ground. And then he cries out with one long drawn out, No! No! (laughs) And that's it. Let's give him a hand, folks. Good job, guys. Good job. And folks, that's pretty close to what happened, okay? You can read it for yourself uh, this week in Genesis 27, but it's a story of uh, Jacob basically just trying to control his family and his whole situation. And he tricks him a second time. First he takes his birthright, and the second time in what (laughs) what we just gave you. That is so biblically accurate. I mean, it must have came from the message or something like that, but I mean, it is right there. And um, and he steals his blessing too. And he threatens to kill Jacob then. And so what happens is Jacob goes on the run for the rest of his life because his brother is coming after him. For years and years, he's kind of on the run. And there's a lot of suffering and pain and hurt that happens to him and his kids as well. You see, folks, controllers and controllees do not live happy lives. So let's go ahead and just get real practical before we're done. First of all, let's look at the patterns of controllers. Patterns of controllers. We controllers, and I'm putting myself in this situation because I have an issue with control. I have to work very hard for it not to happen. But we operate out of a base of fear. We tend to operate out of a base of fear. Now, let me encourage you that if you are a controller or recovering controller like myself, God has a solution for you. And His solution to help you operate to where you're not out of fear is called His love, God's love. That's the solution for all controllers. That it is about receiving His love and filling it within your body. In fact, the Bible says this, where God's love is, there is no, what's it say? Fear. Because God's perfect love drives out fear. God's love can drive out any fear that you have in your life. And the way we experience this is through the love of Jesus Christ Himself. 
Controllers also feel safer when they're around people who are like them. When people are like them, they feel better about that because they can control that situation. Also, controllers feel safer when they can predict the behaviors of the people they interact with. So if they can figure out, okay, I know this person's always going to respond this way, I'm, I'm okay. But if it's different, then it's a struggle. And they do this because controllers like order. They want some order, they want some function, they want to control it themselves. And they hate change. I mean, none of us like change, but controllers despise change. They despise change altogether. Also, one of the things with controllers is they're perfectionists. They have to be perfect, so they try to control the situation until it's perfect, until it's exactly the right way. And then finally, controllers think they're controlling actually helps people. That's why they do it. They figure out that if I control it, then it's just going to help everyone else around me. So they think that it actually helps people. Now, controllers, the way you begin the healing process is when you realize that controlling others, even when you think you're helping them, even when you think, I'm going to make things better in this person's life if I have control over it, you have to realize that that's not the way God works. It's not the way He works at all. In fact, the Bible says this about the way we should treat one another. It says, love does not demand its own way. You don't demand it out of someone. You don't control them into that. The danger is always, though, that controllers get self-focused and they're thinking only of themselves and sometimes they don't even realize it when they're controlling situations. So here's the tip for all of you control freaks who are here today, and it's this. The world does not revolve around you. Okay? I'm saying it to myself. The world does not revolve around Chris Bunch. It doesn't. Tonight, if God chooses, which he has as long as we can remember, the sun will set. And tomorrow morning, the sun will rise, and I will have absolutely no control over those issues. In fact, most of the day tomorrow and most of this afternoon, I will not have control. Even if I try to fix things, make them better, try to say, hey, this is the best way, it will not make things better. Because the truth of all of this is that our life does not revolve around ourselves. The only way you live true life is when it revolves around the one who created you, who knows you and loves you most, and that's Jesus Christ himself. The Bible says this, For it was in him that all things were created and exist through him and in him and for him. You know what that basically means? Everything is about Jesus. Everything is held together because he chose to show up to planet Earth. He came downstairs from heaven to be involved in our lives. And when he did that, he put everything together. And one day it says he will put it all together for eternity. Now, what all controllers need to realize is this, is that life is not about you. For life to truly be life, it is about everything else, about other people. Life is not about you. And the way you learn that is you learn to trust God more than you trust yourself. 
And that's, that's hard. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes practice. It's not just five minutes here or there, but throughout the day, the controller just simply says, I let go and I let God. Now that's kind of one of those phrases where you're like, ah, I hear that all the time. And if you're a lazy person, if you're a controlee, that doesn't help you. But if you're a controller, I'm telling you, I've learned it in my own life. You wake up and you say, today, God, I let you have this day. You're in control. I let go and I let you. Now, what about the pattern of controlees? The controlee person is the person who becomes wounded by controllers. And they get wounded by people who have controlling personalities. It may be currently, or it may be somebody who's controlled your life for a long, long time. But the pain is there from being controlled. And the controlee allows the controller to hurt them, not just once, but continually. When you're a controlee, you allow yourself to be controlled over and over and over again. So you get hurt continually. You get hurt continually. Now, what you need to realize is that there is a solution for you also. If you're a controlee and you find yourself being controlled by someone in your family or someone from your past, that this is what the solution is for you. To practice tough love. You've got to practice tough love. There's a book called Tough Love. You could go read that. You could do whatever you need to do, but learn how to practice tough love. Now let me be honest with you if you're a controlee. The reality is that if you're a controlee, this is going to be the hardest thing for you to do. You tend to be a more merciful person, more meek in your nature, And so when you're doing this, you have a tendency not to want to deal with conflict. You avoid it at all costs. And so when you do that, you have to say, I've got to let that go if I'm going to be more healthy. You're going to have to brace yourself and lean into the power of the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to do it. You can't do this on your own power if you're a controlee. If you were able to do it, you would have already done it a long time ago. You'd be practicing tough love. There'd be boundaries around you. You'd be able to do it. But you can't. You can't do it on yourself. You have, you need a power greater than yourself. Now, part of the reason why controllees lose control is because they don't set healthy boundaries. They don't set healthy boundaries. Folks, I want you to know something that if you're a controllee, I believe it very strongly that in the Bible, it's very, very, very clear that Scripture encourages us to set boundaries, to set parameters, to set some things so that the controllers can't hurt us whenever they want to. And many times the reason why we don't set healthy boundaries is because we get confused about this thing called love. A lot of us, if we're a controlee, we think that what love means is that we just fully give ourselves up, no matter what. But love, when you look at the Bible, is not a weakness, but it's about strength. And the greatest strength comes when we love God and we love other people. When that love is connected both vertically and horizontally, that's where, in the middle of that, that we learn to love and we learn to have tough love, and that's what has to happen if you're a controlee. But when you're controlled by another person, you just can't love the way that God wants you to. So you have to put some boundaries around yourself to do that. 
Now, another pattern of a controlee is that they tend to be people pleasers, right? They will please people at all costs. They don't want to disappoint people. So if you're a people-pleasing kind of personality, you're extremely susceptible to controllers in your life. But let me encourage you by just saying, don't allow it to happen. Don't allow yourself to be a people-pleaser. Don't allow them to treat you or talk to you in ways that is not beneficial. When they say things that are hurtful, say, what you are saying is hurting me. What you are saying is hurting me, and it's not helping. And then tell them confidently exactly what the consequences are when they choose to hurt you that way. So that they're clear on knowing what that is. Because consequences is a friend to a controlling. Look at the parameters that Paul says. He says this, Do you think I am trying to make people accept me? No. God is the only one I am trying to please. Am I trying to please people? If I still wanted to please people, I would be a servant of Christ. You know, the first couple of years that I was a pastor of a small country church in Carroll County, where there were more hogs than people, so that's who I was dealing with, I was what they call a preacher pleaser. I'd go over here and I'd say, hey, what do you think? And they'd tell me and I'd, oh, i got to go do that. And you only do that so long and then somebody over here goes, no, 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 I want you to do this. And pretty soon, your whole ministry is about trying to please every single person who is a part of the church. And you know what I found out after two years of doing that? I was worn out. I was exhausted. I was so tired. The church wasn't growing. Nothing was good. All I was doing was pleasing everybody. And I remember reading this passage, and it's interesting that it says you cannot be a people pleaser, and what's the juxtaposition? A servant of Christ. You can't be both. And so if I can't, you can't either. So it's all about guarding your parameters. In fact, sometimes you just have to create some emotional distance from the person who is controlling you until you can minimize your pain and maybe deal with what is needed. Because the, the reality is controllees always have a tendency to allow people to walk over them. They do. They can easily become a doormat. Controllees can easily become a doormat that other people walk over, over, and over again. And I just want you to know that if you do that, if you allow that to happen, you never fulfill the purpose that God has for your life. You just don't. So here's the practical solution for all of those controllees. Set healthy boundaries. That's what it is. You have to set healthy boundaries. Now I want you to know that there are controllers in the church. There are controllers who will say they're a Christian. And they need to be called out on the carpet when they try to control. And for many of us, some of our controllers are even from our past. Maybe something a parent did to us, something that an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent, someone of authority that we looked up to, and they hurt us in some way. And the reality is they've gone on with their life, maybe they're even dead, but you have been holding on as a controlee to this hurt and this pain. And folks, you know what that's called? Bitterness. And anytime you hold on to bitterness or you hold on to resentment, 
and you don't let it go, that person will have an upper hand and will continue to control your life. So the key is to forgive the person. It doesn't mean you forget what they did to you. It doesn't mean that you have to trust them again at the same level. But you forgive them so that they no longer have any baggage that they're asking you to carry. And if you're in that bitterness thing right now, and maybe you are, summer comes and family get-togethers and things happen, and you know maybe you're there, I'd encourage you to just check out something like Celebrate Recovery or get in a small group. Get some Christian counseling. Do something so you're no longer controlled and you can set some healthy boundaries around you to do things that make you healthier. And don't wait. Tackle it now. Say, Labor Day weekend, 2010, I decided for God to control my life and no one else and get the help that you need. These are the things that make a healthy family. The things that make our families work well and in sync. It's when we embrace biblical things like acceptance and love and fun and affirmation, where words of encouragement are flowing all of the time. And we create a place for people to fail in our families. You know how important that is if you're a parent to allow your kids to fail? You give them some boundaries to do that, but it's so important because they feel safe then. And we can create homes of communication if we embrace those kind of things. Acceptance, affirmation, a place to fail. Well, I want you to take your pulse for a second, and you'll have to decide yourself. Are you a controller? You kind of tend to lean that way more? Or do you tend to lean more towards a controlee. But all of us are not right in the middle. We tend to lean one way or the other. And God loves both people, and He wants both people to learn how to become healthy. And I pray today that there's a tool that you can take to lead from this place, to be healthier, whether you're a controller or a controlee, better than you were when you first walked in. Let's stand for our closing prayer. God, first of all, we just want to uh, thank you for choosing us to be a part of your family. When we choose you, Jesus, as Lord of our life, and maybe for some people that's what they need to do today, that we're no longer just creations of yours, but we become children of yours, sons and daughters who are a part of your lineage. God, some of us in this place, we're controllers. You know who you are. And right now, I'd just like you to kind of pray this prayer, not out loud, but just to your soul, because you know if you're more of a controller. And it will be my words, but it's your prayer. You just say these words. Loving God... I am a controller. I'm a perfectionist. And today I come and I repent. I just say I'm sorry 
for trying to control the people around me. Forgive me, Lord. And God, would you create places for listening and acceptance in my life starting today? As much as I know, I give my life to you today to take full control. Now for others who are here this morning, when I spoke through that controlee list, you're like, yep, that's who I am. I'm a controlee. And maybe you could say this prayer. Your words, though. Loving God, I have always thought it was my fault for the way I have let people walk over me and hurt me. But today I realize it is not my fault. I know I am your child and I want to live in freedom. And so today, I ask that you help me to set some healthy boundaries so I can live out our purposes. I give my life to you today as best as I know how to take full control. And now for all of us, God, I pray right now that we would have surrendered hearts, that we would make the commitment to be here each day throughout this uh, series these next few Sundays because, God, we want to become healthier families and we want to be healthier people when we walk out the door on October 3rd than we are today. So for the betterment of my family, the families that are represented here, and for the family called the JAR, we ask that you would do that for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. If you'd like prayer for anything, come on up.